Andrew. Oh, <gasps> hi. <laughs> Andrew, the way you just said that is exactly how I imagine the deer that I murdered with my car this week uh, kind of felt. He came from nowhere, and I feel like he just said, hi. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the last thing he ever said. He did. Oh, on impact. No doubt. Miss Keisha, Miss Keisha, oh my fucking God, she fucking dead. <laughs> oh, he did. Okay, so um, are you okay? I am perfectly fine. However, the emotional trauma. Emotional trauma? Emotional distress? Have you ever hit a deer? Absolutely fucking not. And I am like scared, uh, girl, it like real. All the time. It happens all the time. I live in a neighborhood where there are deer, like happy ass and all around the, the you know, fields and our lawns. <laughs> happy ass and all around the fields and lawns. <laughs> so I get scared all the time. But what happened? Actually, same, by the way. We live in like a really wooded area with a lake and it's very pretty, but we do have like a family of deer that hangs out and at this point isn't even afraid of us like my poor dog goes outside and the deer's like whatever you're not gonna do anything right they're all like hey and my dogs like kind of want to be friends because they kind of look alike but like it's weird (laughs) because they kind of look no i i just hit a deer out of nowhere but with enough impact that like my airbags deployed and it was a pretty dramatic scene was it like a side football tackle? Was it a windshield? Like, tell me It was details. just straight on. Just deer grill. <gasps> straight on. I don't even know where it came from. I feel like this deer, like, just materialized from nothing. Like, oh, I my God. Demon deer. Demon deer. Just there. And then it was done. And I have never been in an accident where the airbags deployed. And it's super violent. Those things deploy. Oh, my God. Were you injured? I no no. My, okay, I had good, good, good. a bit of a bit of arm bruising from from the airbag, right? But no, it was totally fine. It it deployed so violently that, however, my arm was on the steering wheel. It uh, bent back my engagement ring against my wedding ring and like bent it, and my diamond popped out, and I cannot find the diamond. <laughs> oh my god! It's probably in the deer's belly. <laughs> With my luck, I told my husband it popped out into like the ventilation system or something. Oh, maybe you'll find it. Because we literally could not find it. So this is like the worst part outside of the fact that the deer is dead. So RIP. But besides that, I smacked this deer. And for half a second, I thought it was a person. Like my brain was like, oh my God. And then I really, you know, it flashes very quickly, right? And I was like, wait, no, that was a deer. That wasn't a person. I thought, because in my mind, you hit a deer and they like bounce off or something. Right, right, yeah, right? totally. So I pull over, I calm myself, and I figure out what has happened. By the way, no, no people pass by and stop or anything like that. Nobody cares if you live or die. <laughs> so, did you wait? Did you see where was the deer's body when you stopped? So I stopped, and I'm sitting there thinking that maybe the deer ran off, because I've heard that happens. You might hit an animal. (laughs) That's what you hope. They might, no, 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 I mean, and die. But I've heard that happens, that they have enough adrenaline, they might get hit, and then, like, they go off and die, unfortunately, right? That's why a lot of times you see them, like, on the side or whatever. Oh, okay. I stopped my vehicle 
as safely as I can. And I go, okay, I should probably see like how bad the damage is. Oh no. And when I tell you, I walked around to the front of my car. And when I tell you this deer's head was stuck (gasps) in the grill of my SUV and I screamed. (laughs) (laughs) I screamed and I ran back into the car and I called my husband and I was like, I don't even know. I didn't know if I was supposed to run away from the car. I didn't know if I was supposed to get back in the car. I have never in my life seen anything like it. But dead on impact. Like it wasn't he was like shaking. definitely gone. But when I screamed, I was worried he wasn't. Because I was like, what am I going to do? If this poor deer is suffering and his head is just stuck in my grill like a cat in a jar or something, you know? Listen, you watch Game of Thrones. You just grit your teeth and you snap the neck. Huh? horrific horrific it was so terrible that's literally the craziest shit i heard this week (laughs) but it's actually not hey welcome to okay but like another episode where alex and i recap the week and the world in our pop culture and political podcast um well do you actually have a headline that's not i hit a deer (laughs) (laughs) yes yes i do okay it's not crazy crazy but it did make me chuckle Admittedly, I I have to admit I'm downplaying now. Maine police chief loses license after faking report to avoid meeting. Um, You mean what I want to do Monday through Thursday? Is that what you mean? I think what's funny about it is that there's some relatable nature here. Like how far would you go to be like, I just cannot go to this meeting? I identify, like, I feel attacked at how much I identify with right. that. Right. What do you have? Oh, mine is literally the most intense, most crazy thing that we've talked about yet. Ooh. And I cannot stop thinking about this headline. Are you ready? I'm not ready, but, like, go. Oh, girl. Okay. Texas woman wakes up with blood dripping from her ceiling onto her face. Oh, no. Okay, yeah, we got to find out what happened there. Was it a deer? Oh. (laughs) It was a deer in the grill of her car. No, you have not heard the story? Absolutely not. Okay, so this is a local Fox 23 news out of El Paso, Texas. And it says, I just, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. A Texas woman woke up to the stir- disturbing sensation of blood dripping onto her face from the ceiling of her apartment. Anne Cardenas nope. of El Paso woke up around 4 a.m. Wednesday after hearing a dripping noise. Instead of rain, like she originally thought, Cardenas said she was covered in blood splattered, uh, in blood spattered liquid. Her walls of her apartment, her bed, and her body were also covered. A ceiling fan had propelled the drops across the room. What? It literally dripped through the ceiling onto the ceiling fan and splattered her apartment of blood. So after calling 911, authorities determined that the Cardenas upstairs neighbor had been dead for over a week and that his blood, (gasps) listen, his blood and bodily fluids had seeped through the floor into the apartment below. Okay, when you and I do the podcast, (gasps) we do video chat. Because we, yes. right, and obviously uh, our podcast, faces right now. So it is a, it's only a, um, it's an audio 
medium, but I literally threw my hands in the air. <laughs> yes, you sure like did. One caught the Holy Ghost. You were preaching. You were reaching. Once you said the bodily fluids, because the body begins to break down. Oh my god! Oh my god! Quickly. Trauma, trauma. And this story. Now, okay, wait. Because now it's not just the blood and the bodily fluids. It was on her face. <laughs> it was on her entire body. No. By the way, there are. There are pictures of the splatter. I don't okay, like that. this is Why do we this need is pictures? the this is the moment. Oh, by the way, there's a warning. There's a trigger warning where it's like the following photos are really traumatic or whatever. I don't. Okay, feel ready. Like we need the photos. It seems kind of disrespectful. So the firefighters knocked down the door. The body was laying exactly where her fan is underneath. The carpet and bodily fluids had seeped, or I'm sorry, the blood and the bodily fluids had seeped through the carpet and through her ceiling. When they detached the ceiling fan, a pool of liquid came raining down. <gasps> so obviously he was murdered. No, it says, according to Cardenas, police said her neighbor died from natural causes, but had been in a state of advanced decomposition. Oh, so this is more fluid than blood, maybe? Oh, I don't know. Because I, I was thinking blood is like a trauma, right? If I have a heart attack, I'm not b- right. bleeding out all over the place. Right? Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> Are we suspecting foul play? Are we should you and we I be have called in? The case. We oh my isn't this just seriously, just take a minute. Isn't this just horrific? There's so many issues because how long did they guesstimate how long he had been gone? Yes, so the man who his age was unrecognizable, uh. but they're guessing fifty-five to seventy had been dead for nearly a week. Why did I not realize that in a week you would like decompose to that level? I Just like oh, a mass to, like, of fluid seepage. I'll tell you what. You better come looking for me. If I'm just gone a week, do not let me seep out on the I'm... floor. Come and find me. From dead deer and bodily fluids. Is that what you're thinking about this week? <laughs> yeah, we need trauma recovery. That's what we need. I know that first segment was darker than I would have imagined. Yeah, I'm like, I'm still secretly sort of thinking about it. Um, well, my kid was definitely thinking about that deer because not he wasn't worried. So after mommy has an accident and he's driven to the scene because Brian had to like come and collect me in all my, you know. Oh. chaos they didn't see it because he parked behind me so they didn't actually like see it and you know my, my eldest is a gentle soul as you know yeah but the youngest the youngest we're afterwards we're at home we're assuring them that mommy is fine it's gonna be okay even though they had to tow my car and all that other stuff and when i tell you the youngest he was not worried about his mother <laughs> he wasn't worried about like the transportation or like how we're gonna figure all this out or the trauma what he wanted to know after this whole ordeal, and it's like 11 p.m., he looked to me dead mine. He said, you think that deer had family? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> what did you say? Because the I answer said, is yes, deers have family. because, yeah, he didn't come from a Petri dish. <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, I bet he did have family. And then he goes, do you think he had friends? <laughs> oh. And I said, I, I said, I know deer have family relationships. He was a buck, by the way. So I was like, I don't know. I was like, I know deer have, like, family relationships, but I don't know if he had 
friends. They don't have friends in the way that we do. And he goes, are you sure? <laughs> and I was like, good night. He put the knife in, turned it, and then turned it again. <laughs> A good night. Oh, that's amazing. What are you thinking about? Um, so the answer is always Lil Nas X, as you know. As I um, do know. Um, no, no, no. Okay, so I have been something thinking about something interesting. Um, I have been watching Pose on FX, right. starring Billy Porter, India Moore, MJ Rodriguez, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not even started the new season, and it's shameful. It's shameful. Um, but I have been obsessed. Um. And then, without a joke, so I've been watching Pose, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and then there was that Saturday Night Live performance of Lil Nas X, and I started to think about representation and, like, what's on TV. I'm curious about one question for you. Ready? Yes. When would you say is the first time that you saw yourself on TV? This is such a complicated question for me. Well, yes, I'm super curious to know your answer. So you and I have talked before that, like, I feel like as a black woman in America, I've, like, been on such an interesting and probably, like, super long journey. And so I think that I, the first time I truly saw myself is different than the first time I thought I saw myself. If that makes sense. Okay, so you, I move my queen and you take it for the game, I guess. (laughs) No, I think, so I think that there's a couple of things here. I think one for me, and I think you'll identify with this some because we've talked about this before, right? So one for me, I was raised in predominantly white spaces away from my family because we moved away from, my dad was in the military and we moved from my family when I was in second grade. Oh, wow, okay. And then from then through college, mostly white spaces, some whiter than others, (laughs) but mostly white spaces. There's a picture, I I remember this like it happened yesterday. There was a picture of me with my fourth grade class, and I was standing there, right, in, in my class, and they printed it out in black and white, and I was the only brown child, so I was like, crazy dark and I remember looking at that going god damn I'm black (laughs) I swear to god like I literally to one end nobody had made me feel any differently that I can remember so that's good but on the other end I was like I'm the only black kid in this picture like and I was in like fourth grade oh wow (laughs) and like it was just like so in my face you know that I was like oh oh, shit um was this while you were dressed up like Ariel (laughs) I know throwback (laughs) right that being a time when yeah it was made very clear but that was also when I was living around my black family right so a little bit a little bit different I feel like I just learned to I don't know roll in a certain way sure and to fit in and not you know and again not that these were good things I think it's just the way one survives when you're the only ex in a community Mm. And I think in your case, like we've talked about this before, of like, I I don't know the line, so correct it for me. Okay. But you said something along the lines about like, you know, to to be gay is to like, is to first learn to lie or something like that. It was like learning to lie before you love or something. Can you flush that out for me? Yeah. You made this mention. 
Yeah, um, I I read it in a play one time, and it was like, as as gay people, um, we have to learn how to lie before we learn how to love. Um, and I think that that's uh, not about like familial love, although it can be, but it's specifically, I think, about the person that we love, right? Or want right. to love. Right. And so I just felt like, so when I was little, I think I watched like, um, like... <sighs> I would watch shows and there would be a black character, but a black character in a mostly white space. So do you remember in like um, Full House? Yes. Um, Teddy? (laughs) Yeah, Ted. Oh, Teddy. Yeah. But like I could like identify with that, even though it wasn't like nothing surrounded his race at all. Interesting. But he was just a black kid in a white space and i'd be like oh there's you know like optics a black yeah. kid right yeah. exactly even though it wasn't really about his experience if that makes sense he was a side character i love this but i was this. still like oh at least he's there you oh, know this and i kind of su- felt that way too i felt like sometimes in my friend group i was there so this is super interesting and this is directly related to about um uh, you know, sometimes people have conversations about what are the similarities between uh, black folks in America and gay folks in America and oppression Olympics and all that shit, which is not useful. But this, that, your point is super interesting to me because it's about visual representation, right? Is so like, I didn't see myself on TV for a while because no one was like, I am gay. But you were able to see yourself as a person of color in a white space. Right, because I typically was. Interesting. So I think I was able to like identify with that. You know what is a real tragedy? I mean, the, the tragedies are mounting. Like, let, let me pause there. But one of, outside the obvious, one of also the, um, and I'm going to use victim in a term of, you know, y- you'll understand when I get there. But there are a lot, a lot, a lot of black people. And I'm going to say specifically middle class and and upper class um, black people who identified with the Cosby show. And that has been like irrevocably harmed. Sure. And that is super sad to me, actually. Okay. So before the um, most recent sort of tainting of the show and of the man, your experience was that Cosby show was a representation of uh, an experience or a family or whatever that was powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know many black people who would say differently. I mean, I think the show was also important to America, right? Because think of think of it as, right, it's a, it's a black family, but it's a black family of privilege yeah. as if they didn't exist, right? They're black family. Oh, right. Not every black family was out here struggling or not every, yeah. you know, was a side character to, again, the white story. And not only that, but they introduced a lot of people to, like, HBCUs. Yeah. And what that meant and jazz and like there are so many important pieces of the Cosby show. And even now I find I have trouble watching it. And that really actually sucks because I think it was really, really important. If you look at it sort of in hindsight prior to what we have now, like now we have definitely like more shows that show, of course, black people are living among the spectrum, the socioeconomic spectrum. Right. Totally. But then in the 80s, a doctor and a lawyer, and they're affluent and just raising their privileged kids. Like that's that was a big deal. I love that. So when you when you first experienced the Cosby Show, were you like, I want to know what you felt? 
It's interesting. I, so same thing. I think I had like a journey with the Cosby show because I am about Rudy's age. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to think about when the Cosby show like started, right? It was like mid 80s. And yeah, I was I mean, born in 82. So, right. you know, I was pretty young. So I don't, I don't remember like first run Cosby's, if that makes sense. But I was exposed to it, right? Like as, as I got older and I absolutely loved Rudy. I loved Rudy. Aww. And um, I know, I know. Um, by the way, this crossover, I'm going to yes, get there in a yes, second. Yes. But crossover. <laughs> but not only did I absolutely love Rudy, and of course it gives you just like some classic stuff. Like Felicia Rashad is, Ugh. I mean, just ridiculous. Ugh. So it was just classic, classic. But also, uh, it, speaking of one that I think was the first time that I truly was like, oh, no, this is me. So when I felt more like me yes, was yes. actually living single. <gasps> and you get Erica Alexander in Cosby Show and living and, single. Oh, my God. So I was obsessed. This is dangerous conversation because about gay men, gay white men appropriating black female culture. But... I was obsessed with Living Single. I Living obsessed. Single is great. It's so good. And again, it gives you blackness, but also in just a classic comedic setting. Like all those setups were just classic comedy stuff, but mixed in with some blackness. Like Regine's wigs and her weaves, <gasps> that was so black. Oh my God. Five seasons. Five seasons. There's not of very Living much Single. of Living Single. I've watched it repeatedly all the way through. I think five seasons is, um, see, this is interesting because I will say, you'll know what I mean. Five seasons for a show that premiered, oh, what was it, 94, 93? I'm going to say Living early single? 90. I can yeah. find out. Living Single premiered. I'm going to say 93. <laughs> I'm going to say 93. Okay, let me see. Let me see. 93. 93. 93 to 98. Uh, I, yep. So, okay. Uh, what I mean by this is, okay, it's a, it's a show about a group of uh, single black mostly single black um, young people living in the 90s in Brooklyn. In a 90s kind of world, right? Like, um, I, I got my... my keep your head, keep head up. Keep your head up. What? Okay, it's so good. But it is very black. It is very black. And I mean sure. this as in terms of aesthetic, in terms of uh, just it is unapologetically black. And I love that there are five fucking seasons of that show. But let's give the cre some credit where it's due. This is when Fox decided it was okay to be black because they yep. had Living Single and they yes. had Martin and they had they Living sure Color and yes. they went all in. And I don't think that was a small deal, but they decided, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll, we'll promote these shows. We'll support these shows. And the shows did well. These are classics. They did so well. They did, like, there has to be a book or, oh, maybe there's not a movie. There has to be a book about this, right? Because think about what's coming up in 94. What? I don't o know. <laughs> um, OJ in 94. Oh, okay. You have the media. So I think that like the media landscape changes a little bit in 94. Because you have OJ, you have Tanya Harding, and um, what's her fuck? Right? Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Kerrigan. Well, the 90s were wild. <laughs> but... But the media world of the 90s were wild. And you're right, Martin 
in living color. Martin is hilarious. And I think what's interesting about what Fox did, wouldn't you love to have been in the room? Like oh, when all this absolutely. stuff got pitched and approved, because yes. it's clearly a block. It's a block of black ass entertainment. Yes, right? yes, yes. And so it's interesting because this is when Cosby Show is ending. Because yep. Cosby Show ends early 90s. And there's such a difference in the black experience for Cosby Show versus, mm. say, like a Martin. Yes. And I think for a Cosby Show, right, you would look at that as also getting into respectability politics. Black people Yo. needing to be a certain way and the perfection yes. and yada, yada. And then you get into Martin, and Martin is just black. Wild. Like wild. <laughs> right? It's so and wild. amazing. And it's Detroit, and it's the jokes, and it's, you know, Biggie Smalls doing a cameo like yes. it is all of that a man in drag a man in drag Shanique yeah I just like in hindsight you just want to know like why were y'all much more daring then than now right oh my god is it about exec like who, oh, the production team I like, need to know who was running Fox I at need, the time okay <laughs> I need someone to write a book I need an oral history it's interesting to think about in hindsight for sure. Because you're right. It's it's mid-90s, and it's somebody going all in. All in. Yeah. Because I'm sure there were things that didn't get approved on these shows, but, I mean, you go back and watch and live in color, and it is – I can't imagine much didn't get approved because the stuff that got approved, if you ran it now – and I know we get into the whole, like, cancel culture, and, you know, I don't believe in that bullshit. Right. But if you look at what it was – I mean, it was it was edgy stuff to say the least. Um, totally. And my family, who if you've listened, you know their politics, and they have been the same. My family fucking loved In Living Color, uh, Living Single, as I told you by knowing that it premiered in 1993. Like the Martin, <laughs> like these shows were on TV. So is it about considering race and considering America and considering these shows? Is it about? The classic human uh, comedy tropes. Like, what is it? Why, why were these shows? Why were these shows made then? And why were they hits? Well, and they were also okay. I think you could. Can you also cross this over though with like hip hop culture moving oh, like more oh, mainstreaming? Because we yep. get that right popping up beginning in the eighties. Not that that's when hip hop culture started, but sure. I mean, just in terms of like beginning to surface more into mainstream. Right. And then I think you move that, right. You move that into the nineties. Although I do think it's interesting that I think all of these ended about the same time. Right. I mean, in living color is ends probably in the nineties, late, late nineties. Yeah. 98. And then, um, living single. I don't know when living single, we said ended in like 90. Oh, Oh, living single was 98. Yeah. I, I don't know when, um, when in uh, in Living Color ended. In Living Color, actually earlier than that, in Living Color ends 94. It was <gasps> only five seasons long. Same thing. I don't know why in my mind I think these things were longer than they were. Yeah, but okay, so 94, you also had who? Like Method Man, uh, Bone Thugs. You, ha- you like, mean in that time frame? Yeah, they were huge. They were huge. <laughs> Can we just really quickly talk about Jamie Foxx's genius of Wanda? Uh, I don't know if you... <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've gotten off onto a because I okay you need to share but I just I'm literally gonna probably go and watch Watch, uh, same right same okay let me ask you this speaking of things quickly and then I want to hear yours because I'm sorry we got on a whole tangent about the blackness of the night I love it I love it in thinking about some of these characters like men on film is that okay? Was men on film okay? Oh, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, it had. I mean, yes, yes. Like, 
and people still it wouldn't be okay now. I know, and I think. Oh, I'm. Uh, I find that complicated because why not? But, well, because we consider it. Um, you know, I, I think is it because the, the actors are feel, straight? That's typically what we would say, right? That we consider it a a, a, a punching down. In the okay. sense that if you are making jokes from a position of privilege, meaning you're just yes. a, a straight male. Yes. And it's the same way I feel about Dave Chappelle's, for some reason, obsession with the trans community. Yes. It, yeah. it feels like you are doing it in a way where people don't have the same platform to punch back. Oh, interesting. Because you know what I Which was... I don't know if that's true anymore, if you feel the exact same way. Like if you would still find men on film. I mean, we've... Obviously, is it is a straight male? Is it the exact same platform? No, absolutely, of course it's not. But I, there's also been things are moving more in the right direction than they were in 1990. Do you I, know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I wonder if there were queer people who saw Men on Film. Like I watch Men on Film, and I I laugh a lot. And it's about a femininity, and it's about like I feel in on the joke. I don't feel a part of the joke. Uh, and the butt of the joke versus being in exactly because I think of someone like Nina Bonina Brown from Drag Race or I think of even to a lesser camp degree but I think of like Shea Coulee and I'm like they're doing something similar but they're a part of the community you know so I mean I guess we do evolve and change Right. And this doesn't even get us into Mad TV, which I feel like was very underrated. You are now watching Mad TV. Mad. I loved Mad TV. Totally underrated, in my opinion. Yes, but see. (laughs) Bobby Lee. Oh, oh my God. God. There are icons. Do you remember... um, What's her name? Like, uh, uh, she has like the really gross, like tanned chest, um, and she's like, "Hello, pool boy." Do you know who I'm talking about? I was that. Did Nicole Sullivan play that character? I I don't know. I I'm ill prepared. Another one, by the way. We get Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael. Um, Key out of Mad TV. Yeah. Oh. Like Mad TV burst some stars. Yeah, it was good. It was really, really good. Hilarious. Yeah. Also, what is the name of the woman? She does all of the um like she's on Family Guy and Oh Alex Borstein. So yeah. Yeah. Out of Mad TV. Yep. Totally. I cannot. Okay, sweetheart. <laughs> I totally like corrupted that conversation. No, I what, love it. I love it. What about yours? Also Orlando Jones. Okay, go ahead. Ah, yes. See, no, no, no. I, I think there's some overlap. I think there's some overlap because I was super curious about your answers because uh, I do. I think there's a difference between seeing someone visually who either looks like you or is in the same space as you, whatever. Um, so mine is, is very interesting because I don't look like this person at all, but um, you want to know the first time where something ever clicked with me in terms of, I was like, oh, do you remember f- figure skating? Of course, right? Did you ever watch figure skating? Oh, yeah. I mean, seasonally like everyone, right? Like the Olympics and that sort of thing. Okay, so I remember in the 90s, Rudy Galindo. Do you remember Rudy Galindo? I Oh, okay, wait. Was he was he Elvish? Is am I making that up? Uh, dark features, uh, super. Okay, I'm gonna pull it up literally right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, super dark features, super queer, like super queer. Um, oh no, this is not who I was thinking of, but now I know who he is by seeing him. Yeah, so 
he like skated out and was like super femi and I mean that complimentary and I just was so enamored like I literally could not stop watching the TV and I was like oh like this is interesting right because you do as we talked about you do have the little mermaids and you do have like the curiosity of being attracted to King Triton which is really legit you also have really quickly if we're talking about the 90s do you remember WWF wrestling Oh, you know I do. Okay, so I again was like, <laughs> why are my pants you tight? Right? Like everyone's like all the boys at school were like, they're awesome athletes. And I was like, he's hot, right? But Right, right. But I didn't like see myself in them. Um I but when I saw Rudy Galindo, I was like, Oh, there is something here that I recognize, right? Like Well, and also, so was he openly gay? I feel like it's an open secret or had been, if that makes sense. Oh, like, no, no, no. He they was didn't openly. talk about it in the way that they talked about Adam Rippon, though. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that is correct. But uh, there was, I'm convinced, maybe I'm, I'm making this up, but I'm convinced that, again, in the 90s, there was a, a skate that Rudy did where he, like, at the end, literally pulled out a rainbow flag and, like, skated around oh, with it. Oh, yeah. amazing. And he also okay. is, like... Maybe people just weren't talking about it in the right I way. I think so. Or, I don't or it was pretty, like, clipped, you know? But um, he also was pretty open about the fact that he had family members. Um, he had, a, specifically, a brother who died of AIDS. Oh, wow. And it was like a part of, you know, they do like in between the skates, they do like Rudy, the profiles. Yeah. There's a story. Yeah. Yeah, And he give us the story. Right. He talked about that. And then that, of course, started the conversation of like whoever was watching it with said something about, you know, AIDS and gay people. And then it started, you know, it started the whole thing where I was like, oh, and then, you know, I'm watching Pose and I'm like, I think that seeing yourself on TV physically and emotionally and intimately is super fucking important. And I think that, okay, so this is, this. I, I saw something in Rudy Galindo, but you want to know, this is crazy and sounds stupid, but this is my experience. Do you want to know the very first time where I was like, oh, this is representation for me? Yes, what, what was it? Do you remember, we've talked about it before and I'm going to bring it up again. Do you remember the real world? The real yeah, world course. season, um, it was in it was in the year two thousand, and it was the real world New Orleans. No, I mean I don't have an immediate recognition. It, you know, I know New York, obviously. Right. I know San Francisco, but I don't have an immediate reminder of New Orleans. So it was season nine because I'm obsessed with the show. Seattle, by the way, See, that was season seven. So this is two years later. <laughs> Also, gay gay content with Steven slapping the shit out of Irene. Oh, oh my god, that's so problematic, though. But we 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 don't have time right now. No, no, it's super problematic. But um, season nine, New Orleans, there was Danny, and Danny was um a gay sort of you know middle of the road kind of femme, but kind of not, and like charming and and sort of like. Let me pull up Danny really quick. See if I yeah, can remember the real world New Orleans Danny. Yeah, and he. You know, he was nervous about coming out, but he also wasn't hiding it. And he's just kind of like a, you know, an... Oh, he's adorable. He, Yeah, he's adorable. Um, at the time, though, he on the show, he was dating a, um active-duty military officer. And so, you know, with Don't Know, Don't Tell, like, he visited the house and they had right. to blur out his face. And... Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like he was nervous about bringing his boyfriend to the house and... That was the first time where I was like, oh, I, this is, this is me, right? Like, this is someone who, okay. who is me, you know? Oh, wait, I do remember Trishel. 
That was Las Vegas. That was years <laughs> Wait, later. Wait, it says Trishelle. No, Trishelle is I'm Las Vegas. I'm looking at the picture. Oh, okay. Apologies. Yeah. <laughs> but I do remember her. Like, I literally remember her face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She has a very specific face. Yeah. <laughs> Not she has a very specific face. So, yeah, I just think it was interesting to think about the things that we watched and how we uh, equated them with ourselves, you know? Did we know that Danny was living with HIV? Yes, that is a recent, uh, a recent, That's recent, a reveal. Yeah, interesting. Like Sir Billy Porter, right? Yeah. So again, and okay, so that's it too, right? Is I think when you get into all of this, I think it's about people understand each other better when they know someone X, they know someone Y, they know someone Z. And I think TV is a way that a lot of people get to know people who are X yes. and who are Y and who are Z. And so... Well, or they, or they think, right? Like, and sometimes I think about that. I think, yes. But I, then I sometimes question if it's, if it's superficial or if it actually brings about change. So you and I have talked about Queer Eye. Yes. And that Queer Eye is like a pivotal moment in the zeitgeist. Like, we, we have talked, right? And yeah, that there yeah. are people that were like, Oh, but I love the guys on Queer Eye, but probably we're bigots. Yeah. Do we think that it changes their behavior in the re- are they more if they love Queer Eye and they love those gays, are they like more likely to change like their voting patterns? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know either, but um I don't know either, but I think it does sort of go back to the Cornell West quote, right, where he's like uh, justice is what uh, love looks like in public, right? So I don't necessarily know that they're changing their voting patterns, but I also do know that if they see something in public, they're less likely to be like, ew, gross fags, right? If they've seen it okay. before on TV. The exposure is important. Yeah, I think, I honestly think it's like cognitive. I think it's like the more you see something, the more you, the less scary it is. And I think that that's important for the others, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think you're wrong. I think, to your point, the representation is important not for the people who are seeing themselves alone, but for people. And by people, we normally mean, like, white, Christian, straight people, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if that's what... Because yeah. they have been seeing themselves since the beginning of seeing yourself. <laughs> and now that they're not seeing themselves en masse, they're shitting their pants. Except they still are. They, I think that's, yes, that's yes. what is frustrating, right? It's like not even wanting to give up some of the pie. Because we're not asking for all of the pie. Because I've seen TV, it's still pretty darn white. <laughs> so, like... Yeah, totally. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're, you're fine, girl. I know. That's <laughs> why I fucking love Pose so much. Because I'm like, who are the, who are the white people? You know? And I, I love it. Because not everything... Not everything is for everybody. Even though that one, right? My husband, who is very white, as we have discussed, <laughs> um, based specifically based on his Ancestry.com results, I've never seen. I wasn't thing. making a judgment. I was actually declaring a truth. Like and that he's got paperwork. 23andMe proves white as hell. <laughs> he's, got, he's got paperwork to, to prove it out. Um, I'm on that, um, I'm on that W. Kamau Bell front, the make one, take one. Yeah. I, I found the whitest man I could find and we've had kids <laughs> and those kids are black. <laughs> I love so that. So anywho though, he watches Pose and he, his, 
he's able to watch it and just simply understand and identify as human beings. He doesn't say, oh, I can understand this level of, you know, angst and systematic oppression and, you know, right. basically the government doing everything it can to kill you. Not that. Right. But he can watch it and have feelings for these characters and be sympathetic and. Right. I mean, I feel like that's all that we're asking for, but in some ways with representation, it feels like when you grew up in a culture where you did not see yourself reflected, it was required of us. And I just mean even just circumstances, religion, race, like whatever, sexual orientation. You were required to develop the skill to look past that, to see people as human beings, right? Right, right. Because they didn't look like me or whatever. It feels like if that wasn't the case for you, if you've always looked and the Disney princess was white or whatever it was, and we've seen changes, but you know what I mean. Right. If that was always what you had or sitcoms were always a family that looked like yours, I think it's challenging to get past that because you didn't have to develop it. I had to develop identifying with Little Mermaid even though she wasn't black or whatever, right? right? Totally. And yep. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, it's just I identify with the story. But if you didn't have to do that ever, it seems like some people have like a block. Like they're unable to just identify with the human part of whatever the story is because they've always had a story that just looked like, like them. them. They could yes. easily... Yes, because I think it's about models, right? So that's what I always go back to when I think about my plays or playwriting and when I think about representation is like successful models of narrative, right? And it's like when you are a part of a community where you do not see successful models of your narrative, do you see? Like the models that I grew up seeing were not models that I can... Uh, learn to replicate, right? And so mm -hmm. this past episode, I won't spoil it because you haven't watched it, but this past episode of, of Pose does a really amazing job where, you know, one of the characters says, he, he literally says, is like, this is where things went wrong for me. I did not have a path to say, here's how things are done successfully or here how things are done lovingly here how are you know he mm -hmm. he had to yeah. make his path and what that meant is like figuring out the model and a part of figuring out the model is trial and error and that you know for some people is hard and like of i mean course. i mean life hard right not just like oh this is hard i mean like drugs or alcohol or promiscuity yes. or you know so it's oh yeah it's just interesting I don't want to be that way because I usually uh, feel like when people talk about nostalgia, they're being racist. Um, but I am. Stop it. I am. It is. Nostalgia. It's like poodle skirts and soda fountains. And it's like and racism. And <laughs> separate fountains. Yeah. But I um, am kind of ready to watch some Living Single and Martin. Oh, my God. I'm t Martin is hilarious. Like, again, we can't. We don't have time to get into it again. But no, just the but classic TV moments of the different characters that he portrayed. And Sinead so is just classic. <laughs> like, are you serious? Are you serious? Our Joy Corner is actually going to just be really short tonight. And it's um, Living Single and Martin. Go. Right. Bye. It's Sinead no. constantly calling Gina Big Head. Yeah. And that she was, that Martin wanted to get with her. But she wasn't interested. I love it. And then it. we found okay. out, by the way, then do you remember, do you remember when we found out that Shanae was a business owner? She yeah. owned yeah. a hair salon. Hair salon. Yep. <laughs> I, I remember. I cannot. Yes. Okay. Really? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. 
I also want to call out not only when we learned that she owned a hair salon because she made Gina and I can't remember and Pam work in the hair salon. (laughs) But do you remember when they also tried to get into like a hoity-toity professional organization and Gina and Pam couldn't get in and then Shanae and her friend got in because they were being like real. Do you remember this? Yes, I told absolutely. Yes. This is one of those episodes that I think people talk about. I'm telling you. I mean, everyone. A banger, as they say. Okay, here's what I have. This is very straightforward, and I think, you know, sweet and yada yada. Okay, the Utah Jazz. Are you familiar? (laughs) Uh, Heard of them once or twice. I feel like somewhere in history, there was a man named Carl Malone who played for them, right? Yes, Carl Malone. Oh, my God, I deserve so many points for that. Very problematic, Carl Malone. But, yes, he's like one of their most famous players, along with John Stockton. They currently have a young man named Donovan Mitchell, whose smile is like a diamond. Check him out. Right, like a diamond. The Utah Jazz decided that what they were going to do is for every game they won this season, they were giving a full-ride scholarship to a student from an underrepresented group. And this week, they handed out the first 30. It is on their uh, Twitter feed. And they got them on, like, um, you can see them. They put them all together in, like, a, um, uh, like, Zoom. So you can see, like, there's one of Donovan Mitchell, like, calling a student and letting him know college paid for. And there's one of, like, Rudy Gobert, who's their center, college paid for. And it's just, it's just really pure and sweet. And I think we can think about the fact that college shouldn't be costing this fucking much anyway. Uh, But the point is, it does. And so for right. these kids, like, you can just see it on their faces. And the fact of the matter is, is sports franchises have a lot of effing money. And yep. I, if they're going to do oh, something, yes. this works for me. And I thought it was really, really sweet. And the fact of the matter is, college debt is no joke. And oh, the fact that yeah. these kids are going to go to school and they're going to walk out with no debt, that's life-altering stuff. And that's from my family, which is continuing to pay college debt (laughs) so sing the song of me and my people um okay so the thing that brought me joy this week i don't know if you saw it but did you hear about the revelation that john steinbeck wrote a novel about werewolves oh (laughs) wait what uh it brought me so much joy so you know uh years before coming what steinbeck uh, america's one of our most celebrated fucking authors. Um, yeah, in the 30s, before he wrote, like, you know, his tomes that everyone knows, Grapes of Wrath and, you know, East of Eden and Of Mice and Men, apparently he wrote, like, a pulpy murder mystery that was about werewolves that was rejected for publication, uh, but the manuscript preserved. Really? The, yes, the Steinbeck estate has revealed that they will not release it. And American <laughs> book lovers they said are, no. They are like nah. Um American Absolutely book lovers are not. like you will not see the light of day, friend. Release it. Release which I just think is amazing because I mean Steinbeck, love him or hate him. Uh I mean he literally wrote one of the best American novels of all time in East of Eden. And right. uh I would love it if I was to read East of Eden and then chapter eight happened and it was like werewolf attack. Yeah, I'm gonna say there's gotta be a reason they're not releasing it. <laughs> Uh, well, they said apparently there was like a couple of, of things they can read about it, but um, he wrote it under a pseudonym, so there's some weirdness around that. But also, it's a murder mystery, um, a, actually super complicated and super interesting, inspired by an actual lynching of two African American men. Um. So there's that, and yeah, it's uh, just look it up. It brought me joy because I was like, sign back out here writing werewolf stories. 
<laughs> no, I missed this completely. I'm not on literary like TikTok, obviously. Like I need to make. Did you? Did that... No, you're on like every other TikTok channel except literary TikTok. Right. <laughs> My TikTok channels are out of control. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, fifty. Oh, look! I just counted all the TikToks you sent me today. It, it, TikTok at this point is my main source of entertainment, and I'm not even joking. That's People are we hilarious. Oh, well, they are hilarious, but that's your main source of entertainment because we don't have Living Single and Martin. <laughs> Ow, full circle. Hey, do you want to record again soon? <gasps> totally. Okay, uh, go and have a great day and change the world, and I'm going to do the same. And people can listen and subscribe where, friend? Wherever you find your beautiful podcasts. I prefer Apple and Spotify, but listen anywhere. Listen anywhere.